there's this thing about how, how, how long it takes to form a habit. What is that like? How many? 21 days to form a habit. So I figure if I do this for 21 weeks, you might consider that it's a, ha- a new habit for me. But until then, just be thankful every Sunday when I give you an outline, okay? All right, well, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful book of Exodus. It's amazing. Um, the whole Bible's amazing, God. And whenever we stop, wherever we park uh, in any passage of Scripture, we just find there's so much there and so rich and relevant and um, just radically changes the way we think and really pushes us hard uh, to consider what's being said. Some of it's really um, miraculous and mind-boggling and some of it's just so wise, but all of it's life-giving, God, and we just thank you for the book of Exodus as we begin this new study. Will you walk us through it? Will you teach us many things? Will you challenge some of our concerns that we have. Um, There's things in the book of Exodus that make some people believe that it's not true uh, or that it's it's too miraculous uh, or they don't like certain historical things and so they make light of it or end up uh, tearing it apart. And we don't want to do that, God. We want to uphold it, your word. We believe that your word is true and that Exodus is an accurate historical account and that it has loads to say to us today. Would you guide us through this series, God? May we hear your voice over and over, week by week, uh, chapter by chapter. May we hear the voice of God coming through the Word of God. And may those old stories be like new and fresh. And some of us think of them as childhood stories, God. They are childhood stories, but they're also adult stories. They're stories for everybody, all ages, at all times. Just bring it to life, God. Do what you do in our presence. Holy Spirit, open our minds and hearts and take every chapter to speak to every person. Lord, if we're sleepy today, wake us up. If we're bored, get us tuned in and excited. If we find ourselves in a wilderness, then draw us in. If we're skeptical, then answer our concerns. Wherever we're at, Lord, today will you come and be the teacher. Holy Spirit, come, move, work, awaken the dead, save people, enlighten people, challenge us, thrill us. When we come to the end, may we want to praise you and sing, dance and shout for the goodness of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You ready for this? All right. Okay. Um, I did say the title's not so exciting, but it's descriptive. It's not the most exciting title in the world. The young Hebrew nation in Egypt groaning for deliverance. You know, modern preachers, they would just not like my title at all. But I thought, it says says what it is. Um, The young Hebrew nation in Egypt groaning for deliverance. That's actually what's happening in the opening two chapters of Exodus. So first of all, um, today we're beginning this series and... The whole series is called Seeing Christ in Exodus, okay? That's what we're doing. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for Christ in this account. We do that with all the Scripture, right? When we open our Bibles, what are we doing? We're looking for Christ because He's there. He's everywhere. He's all through the Scriptures. The Scriptures are pointing to Christ, and the more skillful we become at it, and the more we study, the more we start seeing Him everywhere. I've said this before when some of you who are good fishermen, and you go down to the river, and you're going, there's a fish, and there's a fish, and there's a fish, and I'm going, where? I don't see them. 
And you see the fish in the river and you're like going, I don't see a fish. I just see rocks and water. And they're going, my son will say, Dad, can't you see something right there? And he goes, I don't see it. And then people that are like that with Scripture, someone goes, how do you see Christ there? How do you see Christ? I don't see, I don't see Christ in Psalms or Leviticus or I don't see Christ in these different passages in, in Esther or wherever. It's like he's there. He's there. And the more skillful you, you get at studying the Bible, the more exciting it gets because you start seeing them everywhere. And that's one of our goals is I want you to, as we go through Exodus, it's another tutorial on how do you find Christ in all of the scriptures or um, God wants to reveal that to us. So let me, let me just kind of remind you of some scripture verses that I think prove the point. When after Jesus rose from the dead and he was talking with some of his disciples on the, the road to Emmaus and they were still, remember these people have been with Jesus for three years and they still didn't understand why he had to suffer and die. When he suffered and died, they thought it's over. And he's like, didn't you know, don't you know the Bible? Did you know your Bible? That's really what I was saying. Don't you guys know? I've been with you three years. Don't you know the scriptures? And then Jesus said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the thing concerning himself. Jesus is like, don't you see me? Don't you see me in all the books of the Bible? And that's what we're doing. Don't you see Jesus? How many of you can say, yeah, I see Jesus in Exodus. Can you? You see Jesus in Exodus? You do now. Okay, you're going to. All right, this is good. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us something for those people who claim they don't need the, New Te the Old Testament. It's like, ah, oh, just give me the New Testament. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if you don't take all of Scripture, then you're not going to be complete and equipped. We need Exodus. You agree? We need Exodus. Great. Okay, and then lastly, we're told in the New Testament how, how helpful it is. In the New Testament, we're told, now these things happen. And as a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about Exodus. He's talking about the very book. He's not just talking about it's applicable to the whole of the Old Testament, but especially to the book of Exodus. He's like saying, hey, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And he even says in that passage, go back and read that passage this week. It's fantastic. And it says to keep you from sin, to keep you from committing the sins they did. What kind of sins did they commit? Idolatry, adultery, fornication, um, all kinds of, basically all the Ten Commandments. They, it's like to keep you from sinning. The book of Exodus, hey, any sinners out here? Well, the Exodus is for you, and it's the purpose. Paul said the reason Exodus is to keep you from sinning. Yeah, how about that? So that's the goal. Okay, and then I, I have an outline, and I really don't know where I got this outline. Sometimes I take, sometimes I don't like the outlines in the books I have because they're just like too detailed. And it's like, oh, I don't think the way that author thought. Or I don't, so you got my, you got, I don't know where I find it. I might've toyed with one and kind of, sometimes I, when I'm doing, trying to think myself, I have to think for myself, okay? I go and I get an outline and then I look at it and go, ah, and I look at four or five. I've got all these Bible, um, Bible books and I've got all these, um, I probably have a dozen um, bi study Bibles. And I look at them and go, oh, that outline's good. And I don't like that about that and that and that. And it, there's no law that says I can't do that. 
I can make my own outline. You can make your own outline. But I try to pick one that makes sense to me. I want to remember it. And so I try to do it in a way that makes sense. And this is just the made sense to me. And again, I, I honestly can't tell you if I found it exactly like this or I tweaked it. I don't know, but I'm giving it to you. Okay, and there's really, there's really just three sections in the whole book. The three sections in Exodus, if you want to say it's um, in Egypt, leaving Egypt, and at Sinai. So they're going from Egypt to Sinai, and in the middle is their, their journey um, getting there. That's not their destination. Their destination is the promised land. But that's the book of Exodus. The Exodus means the exit, the exit. As they exit, the story of their exit from Egypt. And the book of Exodus is like the biggest um, salvation narrative. When you talk about salvation to the Jews, they would equate that almost with Exodus. Wow, the Exodus. It's, a, it's the salvation story. Out of, out of slavery into freedom. Okay? All right. So then, I want to read this. This is from one of the um, commentaries, a Christ-centered exposition commentary series. And it says, We believe the Bible is God-breathed, authoritative, inerrant, sufficient, understandable, necessary, and timeless. That's a pretty big claim. Authoritative. God-breathed. Inerrant. No errors. Sufficient. Like, it's all I need. I, I, it's sufficient to lead me in the way that God would. It's, it's not going to make me. A, um, it's not going to. It's not sufficient to teach me how to um, work on uh, car motors. But it's sufficient to make me a better mechanic. It's sufficient to do my whatever God has called me to do. Okay, um, and it is uh, necessary, understandable, timeless. All right, we also affirm that the Bible is a Christ-centered book, that it contains a unified story of redemption, a redemptive history of which Jesus is the hero. Like it's a big, long drama, and Jesus is the star. Okay, that's the, that's the purpose, meaning, direction of Scripture. Okay, and so now I'm going to, um, this little note there, I'm trying to, it's, it might be a little sloppy in there, because I was just chunking together some ideas, but I want you to get this picture. Like as we tie Genesis and Exodus together, I, I just thought of some things that so clearly tie. I don't know if you understand it and know that the, the Genesis is, Exodus is like part two. Genesis part one, then Exodus is part two. It's like flows together. And so I want to show you that flow. Exodus picks up the story of God where Genesis ends. God chose Abraham to become a nation, to bless all nations. Remember Genesis 12, 3. In you, Abraham, all the nations, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He sent them into Egypt. Before we leave Genesis, they were already in Egypt. He sent them into Egypt where they grew from a family of 70 into a nation of 2 million. Now, some people go, whoa, that's, that's huge. That's, that's, not that, that's not that much. 400 years ago, can you imagine, we have 300 and something million people in the United States right now. 400 years ago was like 1590 something. You know how much we've, we've, it's not that, some people go, oh, that's so, it's really not that hard for over 400 years for uh, people to multiply from, it's just not that hard. If everybody has, well, back then they had like Abraham, Jacob had like 12 kids. 
Um, if you have a bunch of kids and then the next generation, next generation, that was normal for them. They all had a bunch of kids. So it was, it's not that hard. It's a, but it's a statement of fact. There's nothing miraculous about Israel growing that big, just natural generation. Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, supernaturally rose to a place of highest power in Egypt, second to Pharaoh only, not to get revenge against his brothers as they feared, but to fulfill God's covenant. Like Joseph's brothers are like, oh no, Joseph is in power. He's going to extinguish us. And Joseph's like, I'm not going to extinguish you. I want you to grow. Joseph understood God's covenant and his brothers didn't. His brothers are like, ooh, we're fearful. We might get terminated. They didn't even have their mind on the covenant of God. They were only concerned about their own welfare. And Joseph had his mind on the promise of God, that God was going to bless all nations. So Joseph's like, hey, my job's not to get rid of you and take revenge. My job is to, given to me by God to help you survive this famine and so that you would flourish. And that's exactly what happened. Joseph said, do not fear. I, am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. So it's true. I could, if I was on a human level, I would want revenge. You did mean evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So he fully expected God to keep his promise. And that um, when Joseph was about to die, he said, I'm about to die, but God surely will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. So Exodus picks up the story four centuries later. We have Genesis, four century later, same story. You see that? And then he wants to rescue those who were involved. Um, wait, where'd I go? Okay, okay, then uh, he picks up the story of where he said in Genesis 15, 13 to 16. This is mind-boggling right here. Um, when you go back and realize what Abraham said was God told Abraham 400 years before we get to the book of Exodus, all the way back in the time of Abraham, here's exactly what God wrote. And this is why people have a hard time believing. Could that be possible? Of course it could be. Then the Lord said to Abram, Now know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. I will bring judgment on that nation, on Egypt, that they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions, which they did. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So here's the cool thing. God's like going, I'm down here doing my thing in Egypt and I'm waiting my time up here in the land of promise. Like I got something going on down here. I'm controlling it. I got something going on down here and I, the two are, I'm doing both of them for my glory. Isn't that cool? God was working on both sides of the, of the, the Nile or both, both locations. He's like, I'm working where you're going to build you up as a nation and I'm at work where I, the land I'm going to give you as their iniquity increases and the timing. I'm, God's just like this. He times everything. So the timing's going to be perfect. When you're ready to go and conquer, there's time that I need to snuff out that wickedness. And he just merged those two things together. It's, it's amazing. Okay. So is anybody surprised that God had this whole thing planned out? Here's something I thought of this, this, uh, this morning, and I thought this is kind of cool. If Genesis 1, 1 is possible, then so is Genesis 1, 2 to Revelation 22, 1, 22, 21. I think I read this like there's 33,000 verses. I know one of you is going to Google that. Aaron's probably going to Google that. He always Googles and tells me afterwards. 
So I don't know how many verses are in the Bible. There's like 33,000 in the, in the whole Bible. So the first verse sets up the 33,000 rest of the verse. If you can believe verse 1, you can believe the whole rest of the book. If there is a God who can create all things, then why would such a thing be hard for Him? Okay, so let's look. We're going to go through some things that are clear in the first two chapters. Number one, the 12 sons of Israel turned into the 12 tribes of Israel. They went from 70 people to roughly 2 million. And that's what we saw in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, and said, yeah, you, you were doing your worldly thing and your earthly thing, and you did what you did against me was evil, and you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Like God had a plan even in the corruption that takes place in the world and even in the corruption in God's own people. Like there was corruption among the 12 sons of Jacob and they did a horrible thing. They tried to kill their brother, then they sold him to slavery and they dismissed him and they lied to their dad and they make up this enormous lie. And God even works through difficult things, corrupt things to bring good in the end. That's, that's our God. That's, who, that's the God you want to worship. This, this great God. Okay? Number two, the, the new king over Israel did not know Joseph. So there's a huge gap of information with no, not much uh, time, with not much information. And God was at work the entire time. The Jews were despised by others, but loved by God. God had a purpose for them, and others were trying to exterminate them. It's actually happening in our day. In fact, God had a great plan for all those who turned to Him in faith to serve His throne. Remember Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua came to the end of his life and he says, hey, you guys choose. Would you rather go serve another God than what's stopping you? And I can say that here. You guys want to go serve another God? Go, find, go pick one. No God? Try that. But as for me and our house, we will serve the Lord. That's what our church is saying. As for us and this house, we're going to serve God. Okay, and it's interesting, too, that this new king did not know Joseph. And I remember thinking about what incredible things Joseph did. And I'm thinking, how could a new king not know him? But that's like 400 years later. I promise you, I don't even know three vice presidents back. Maybe, if they were bad enough. But, like, we're surprised that it says he didn't... He didn't know who Joseph was. He forgot. But it's like a lot of time passed. A lot. If you go back and study Egyptian history, huge things were taking place in the Egyptian empire. But God is making a point that the pharaohs don't pay attention to what I think is important. That's what God is saying. And God in His Bible, the Bible history, the history of the world in Scripture is on what God thinks is important. God didn't write um, a, a biography to cover the great, there's nothing in there about the Chinese Empire or um, the discovery of America or um, all kinds of things that have occurred in the history of the world aren't in that because this is what, this is what God thinks is important. This is how He writes history because our lives and our eternity depends on it and actually the world itself is dependent upon this, not the way they write history books, but the way that God does, okay? So the entire, number three, the entire Hebrew nation was forced into slavery, the whole nation. Slavery is practiced in our world just as it was in theirs. Doesn't matter what skin color you have, they practice slavery in the world. Slavery goes on right here in Silva, North Carolina. There's definitely sex trafficking everywhere. But slavery is when... Uh, forms of slavery. 
is when people who are in powerful positions use their position to overpower people and take advantage of them. And that happens everywhere. That happens in every business. We do that. We fall sometimes prey to doing that. We sometimes will take advantage of someone because we're stronger, bigger. It's like the school bully is in every nation. Everywhere. And God is against that. And God is the only one. And it's in every skin color, every economic level, everything. We have this tendency to be self-centered and we don't mind um, people in positions of authority often practice um, oppression. Okay? So it's going on in our day all over the place. It's just human nature. It's, it's because of human nature. That's what it is, our sin nature. And so wicked people use force to make other people do what they want. And God loves to rescue us from all forms of bondage and slavery. There's a passage in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, which was messianic. And it was foretelling the coming of Jesus and said, The Messiah will come and he will set the captives free. The Messiah is going to set people free from slavery and bondage. And he said he would preach good news to the poor. And then Jesus read that one Sabbath day and he stands up and said, It's me. Isaiah 61 is me. It's me. I will set you free. And so that's what the people of Israel um, wanted someone to set them free. And God sent a prefigure of Christ. Moses is like a prefigure, a foreshadowing. Moses is like a, a little Jesus, but not nearly as big and not nearly as good. He's like a wannabe Savior, pointing to Jesus, the real Savior. That's what the, everyone in the Old Testament, there's three primary roles in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king, and all of them are like wannabes. Aaron was a wannabe. Moses was an Arabi, wannabe. David, King David was a wannabe. They were all wannabes because they weren't sufficient to be our king, our priest, our savior. And so the New Testament um, reveals that Jesus is the one where all the offices of God, all the offices we need in a redeemer and a savior come to fruition in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture. Take any priest, prophet, king in the Old Testament and say, are they good enough? No. Was Moses good enough? He was good. He was like the best one. Maybe one, one, certainly top five. All time probably. But he fell way short. He couldn't even get him to the physical promised land, much less the spiritual promised land of heaven. We need somebody better than Moses. Agreed? We do. Okay. So they went into slavery and they needed someone to rescue. And the government, this is a sad, sad reality. The government demanded Pharaoh, but really the government, because everyone went along with it. Someone had to carry out Pharaoh's orders. Pharaoh wasn't the one that was going to go kill the babies. He's the one that gave the order. And everyone's like, okay, if that's what the government said, well, the government said was, that's what they said at the Nuremberg trial. We're not guilty. We're just doing what the government said. The government told us. The, the people in authority told us. That's not an excuse. And that's what they were doing. It's like the government demanded the killing of all newborn babies. Abortion is the intentional killing of an unborn baby, and they were killing them right after they were born. Same thing. They would have killed them in the womb had they seen it, if they could see them. Next week we're talking about that because it's our uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. So we'll talk more about this issue. But it's right here. I didn't, I didn't even realize I was gonna, it was going to line up. This week we talk about this. Next week we'll talk about it. So... The Egyptian government was demanding the killing of baby boys upon delivery. Not girls, just boys. And it's because they were fearful of the men raising up and being able to make an army. 
and revolt against. They were growing so rapidly, they were afraid. Well, they can't have too many men. And this was a violation of the sanctity of human life. I'm going to make a pretty um, dogmatic statement, a pretty big statement, a pretty rough statement. The people will kill a baby, will kill anybody. People that will kill a baby will kill any age. You go on this end, same thing. People that kill the elderly will kill anybody. When you no longer believe in the sanctity of human life, then you're willing to get rid of any life that's in your way of your pleasure, your goals, your life. This isn't what I had planned. And I know that's tough stuff because I know that there are people who get caught up. Remember when I was saying a minute ago that people will just carry out whatever orders the government gives. There are people who go to churches and in churches they're not told to them about the sanctity of human life. And so the primary culprit in that is the leadership who doesn't tell people you, you can't do this. And kids go to school and they go, oh, it's okay. The, the teacher said it's okay and they learn and they go to um, very liberal churches and their church says, hey, it's okay. It's, who's, that's your, your body. And then people go out and do what they're told by their leaders. There is a measure of accountability to the people involved, but there's an even greater accountability to the people who promote it. And by the grace of God, both of those people can be saved. People are converted, both of those people, people who have gone around and told everybody that it was just a protoplasm and a blob, not a real human being. Many of those people have been saved by the grace of God. And then people who took their advice and young girls and young guys who end up and find themselves in a crisis pregnancy and have just done what everyone told them to do. And they ended up making one of the worst mistakes they've ever made in their whole lives because people who they looked up to to give them wise counsel lied to them. And many of those people have been converted and found grace and favor in God. And we're going to talk about that next week too. It's very important. And here's the other thing. Don't, don't sit there and think that you wouldn't have done the same thing in a different situation without a redeemed heart. Don't you dare sit there and go, I can't believe people do that. What I'm sitting there saying, I can't believe you think you wouldn't do that. You don't know your own heart. So we're just, we're just here saying, look at what people will do. You know how many people had to align with what Pharaoh was saying because they were afraid of Pharaoh? And they were willing to do what Pharaoh said because they were terrified of the results. You know how many wrong things we've done in our life because the crowd or the pressure we felt to do it? And God says, no, let me, let me take the pressure. Let me, let me help you. And then if you've made those mistakes, God says, come unto me. Come unto me. So if there's anyone here that's made any mistakes in that realm, we're not, we're not calling you out. We're calling you up. Calling you to Jesus. Like, go to Jesus with that. I've had to do that with all my... I've got so many sins in my life. I might not have committed an abortion because I've never been pregnant. But were I a young teenager in that situation and I ended up in that situation, I, I honestly can't say what I would have done. I probably would have felt the pressure. and I might have just gone along with it. And so I know how people get to those places. And God is saying, look to me. Come to me. Are you in a crisis? Are you in a situation? Come to me. And have you made mistakes from your past? And he says, bring those to me. Bring those to me. All of them. Doesn't matter. But this is just an example of how far people will go when they start moving away from God. Okay? It's very, very important. Okay? And I love number five. Courageous women feared God more than they feared the government. Shipra and Pua. Don't you just love them? They're like going, well, the government says we got to do this. And they're like going, no, we ain't. We fear God more than we do Pharaoh. 
we're not going to violate our principles of the sanctity of human life. And they're like, we're not going to do it. So those Hebrew women, they're too fast. Like, man, they have a baby before we even turn around. And I'm not sure that that was exactly true. But they weren't going to do it. They weren't going to do that. Because human life was precious to them. And we have met people in medical practice, medical school, and they're going through and they're going, they're in a dilemma because they're like, well, man, what do we do? And they're like, I'm going to not get a job or I'm going to lose my job or people are going to mad at me. So many of us don't want to say anything about the sanctity of life because people get mad at me. I don't want to, I just want to be over here in my corner. Just stand strong. Take your stand, stand strong. It's okay, God will be with you. God will be, he'll help you. I know it's awkward, I know it's hard. But God wants to show you His strength and might. Look at what He did for these two women. It says He even blessed them to have kids. It says He even opened the womb for them. They all had families because they honored God and blessed Him. Okay? Um, number six, one Levite couple concocted an utterly ludicrous plan to save their son. Now think about that. Honey, I'll tell you what. Let's take this baby down to the river and throw him in a basket. We'll save him. That's got to be the, one of the craziest plans to save your kid I ever heard of in my whole life. The Nile River has things in it called crocodiles. And a baby's like this is a snack. You ever been to the, um, the, that thing in, uh, down near Myrtle Beach or somewhere like that and they throw chickens to... You ever seen that? They throw chickens. You go to alligator farm? They're dangerous. They're dangerous. How in the world they thought that was a good strategy? I don't know. But God was in it. And so even though some of our crazy strategies, if God is in it, then you can, you can trust God. God floated baby Moses right into the bathtub of Pharaoh's daughter. Her bathtub was the Nile River. It's just a certain section. And God floated that. You know, I thought about this. Baskets don't have a rudder. But when God's, God's directing the ship, even though it was a little ship, then it ended up in the right destination. How about that? Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You ever think about that? You ever think about how that baby ended up right there? I don't know. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, well, she just pushed it. It doesn't say, it just says she put it in a basket and it went down there where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. Okay? And then Moses grew up with the best education and leadership training in the world. Think about that. God raised up people sometimes. God does that right now. There are people that spend their lives in higher education and then some of them are converted and they take all that knowledge and they turn it and use it toward God. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that great? Awesome the way God will do that. And then God did that with Moses. Think about Moses and his education as a slave. If he had been raised in the education as a slave. Think about later how God would use that when he went into the halls of the pharaohs. He knew those halls. He knew how they worked. He spent 40 years growing up. His first 40 years he spent growing up in the Egyptian system. He knew the system. He not only knew the system as an outsider, he knew it as an insider. And he was right there in those halls of power and glory. He knew what God was calling him to do. And so God educated him for his mission 40 years in Pharaoh's palace and then 40 more years he needed in the wilderness to be the man God needed to do. So I just think it's incredible. Okay, Moses wanted to help the Jews, but he wasn't spiritually ready. So his first effort wasn't so good. His first effort was, kill that Egyptian. Like, I'm Moses. I'm, you know, my mom is Pharaoh's daughter. I'm important. And he probably just got angry. And he decided to solve that one little issue. Somewhere along the way, God let Moses know that he was Jewish. 
and he wanted to help them. But he jumped, in, jumped ahead of God's plan time. You ever done that? You ever been so excited to serve God and you jumped ahead of God's plan? You ever put yourself forward? I'll do that. I'll teach. I'll lead. I'll go do this. I'll do that for God. I'm the newest apologist. And people go out and they want to do something for God. Their intention's good, but they're just not there yet. They're not mature yet. And so sometimes the person that's so excited is a little dangerous until they've matured some. And they go out there. Young preachers are terrible at this. Young preachers are really good at splitting churches. I go in there and we're going to change, make these changes and want to change the music and change this and change that and tear this out and do this. And they're so excited to serve God. But they're not patient. And that happens a lot with young zealous people. They also, with their zeal, praise God for zeal. I'm going to tell you, I did some stupid things when I was a young pastor. Two. That was it. I did two stupid things. That was it. After that, I got real smart. Now, I did, I, probably daily I did dumb stuff. I look back at some of the stuff I did and some of the stuff I said probably in sermons and the things that bothered me in meetings and things I advocated for. I, I wasn't, I, I just thought I was ready to take on the world. It's like, I want to preach the gospel like Spurgeon, which was not ever going to happen with me. And then I thought, well, I just preach the gospel and everybody will change. And they just sat there like going, I had one man say, we'll be here when you're long gone. And he was. He was there when I was long gone. Um, Moses had to mature, okay? Okay, so um, Moses wanted to help the Jews, wasn't spiritually ready. So what did he do? As God took him out into the wilderness. And there's a, a verse in 1 Timothy 4.15 where Paul is telling young Timothy that he needs to mature some. It's like, Timothy, I love you. You're so ready. You're zealous. I see the sign of God all over you. I love your zeal. I love your hunger. But keep growing. Keep growing. And then God spent 40 years giving Moses spiritual training he needed. So it's like he got the mental stuff and the leadership training over there, but he needed the spiritual stuff and spiritual leadership training, and he got that in the wilderness. You remember where Jesus went? The wilderness. Remember how long? 40 days. I don't know. It sounds like it may be intentional. Or when I read 40, 40, 40 sometimes, certain numbers, you're like going, oh, I've heard that before. 40 years for Moses, 40 days for Jesus. I guess Jesus was a quicker learner or something. I'm not sure. But it's like Moses needed 40 years. And Jesus did war for us for 40 days. Moses really didn't know what was going on. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. But both of them had this season of preparation for their mission. And are you, maybe some of you are in a season of preparation right now. And maybe God's preparing you. Can I just challenge you to take that and ask God, like, Lord God, what are you preparing me for? Do you know that God is always preparing you for the next thing? Where you're at right now is preparation for God for the next ministry He has for you. And sometimes it's really hard and sometimes it is a wilderness and you're out there and you feel so disconnected and you have no idea what's going on and you don't even feel like you're in the game. Do you imagine Moses did not feel like he was in the game? Can you believe that? If Moses knew and understood the covenant of God, it's like he's not even in the game. He's like out there in Midian. And he married the 
the daughter of a Midianite priest. That doesn't sound like that he's following God's plan, but he was. So some of you might be out in the milk wilderness. And I don't know, young men, I don't know any Midianite priests, so I don't have any ideas for you on who to marry, but I do think that it might be that there's a wilderness and God's taking you through it. You could be there right now. You're like waiting. and you're. Can I just say in the wilderness, don't think that God is not with you. And he wants to teach you some things through there that are going to affect how you're going to serve God and minister for his name. Okay, then a new Pharaoh came to power and the Jews cried to God louder than ever. So the, the difficulty continues and this is how God uses wilderness experiences and we go through more and more and then we cry louder and louder. And do you know what? The more intense the wilderness, the more intense our cry to God. Do you see that? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced Has God not sometimes rescued you? Is, I'm, I'm guessing that most of you were converted not on the best day of your life, but maybe the worst day of your life. I'm guessing that many of you were converted in the middle of a crisis, not when everything you touched turned to gold and you were winning medals and your um, money was all just flowing and like you didn't need God. I think it came at a time when you felt you most needed God. That's how God works. So crises are times of crying out to God. That's the purpose. And so that was beginning to happen to this group of people. And they began to cry out to God. I love Psalm 34, 6, and it says, This poor man cried out, and the Lord God heard him and answered him. I love that. And that's true for the people of God when they finally began to just cry out and cry out and cry out after long seasons of time. And God had them ready for a movement of God. After 80 years of preparation, Moses was about to fulfill his great purpose for God. God does not have a sense of panic like we do. We don't like the way he's always at work. Jeremiah 29, 11, 12 is, says that God knows the purposes that he has for us. He has a plan. And then he will come. And that's when we begin to cry out to God. So I just want to say welcome to Exodus. And I pray that you're going to pay attention. You're going to read. I hope you'll take these notes. Um, they're very special to me. Um, and I hope, they'll be, I hope they'll be special to you. I hope you'll think through and I hope you'll begin to go, man, Exodus is awesome. I hope you'll just begin to look at Exodus and go, man, this is, this is fantastic. So I just want to ask you, um, maybe where are you? All right, if you're in a wilderness, then... Maybe God is coming after you to, to prepare you for that. If you're in the education mode like Moses was early, if you're like in the education, you're trying to find out where I am and what my purpose in life is, then pay attention, include God in that. If you're having to take a stand on a difficult issue like those two midwives, stay strong, stay strong. If that's your calling in life is in this um, pro-life or another area that there's culture collision is happening. Could be all the gender issues. It could be standing up for the sanctity of marriage and one man and one woman. It could be just trying to be truthful and being a hard worker. That's kind of outdated. Um, and so whatever it is, take your stand and take a biblical principle and trust God and ask Him to show you how to walk through it. And then um, lastly, I would say if you find yourself, if you still find yourself in slavery and bondage, today, then cry out to God. If there's something in your life that's enslaving you, cry out to God. Ask God. Let Him hear your cry.
and don't give up. They didn't give up. They kept crying out to God. And you say, well, I've cried out to God and He hasn't heard me. Oh, He hears you. He hears you. I know it doesn't feel like it, but He hears you. Call upon the Lord today and you shall be saved. That is the promise of God. And it's never proven untrue. I know you go, well, it's untrue for me. Then don't stop. Don't stop. God keeps all of the promises. And His promise is if you will call upon Him, He will be your Savior. Maybe you need to call upon Him today. Okay? As we sing, I just pray that you'll take something you've been hearing and just take that to God in prayer and cry out to Him now. If it could be salvation, it could be, Lord, what's next in my life? What's your plan for me? And it could also be that. That's for our church. It's like, help, Father, help us to cry out to you day and night and let us carry out the mission you've given to us in this day. Let's pray. And Jesus, Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our true Savior being our true king, being our mediator. We thank you for um, what you endured for us. And we thank you that it is your desire to rescue the afflicted, to rescue the, those who are um, enslaved and to set us free. I pray that you might set some of us free today, God. Set us free from things that are binding us and let us feel your presence, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing our closing song. <laughs>